SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM South Africa's news and information leader. Hello and welcome to another edition of SFM Sports Ramp. Delighted to be with you this brilliant Monday and it's made all the more sweeter by South Africa's victory over Australia. I don't know why it's such a sweet victory. Either way, series level at 1-1. I'll get uh, get to that in a moment. But uh, before we get into some sports news and some uh, headlines for you, just uh, delighted to say that in the studio we've got a very special guest. And if you are a fan of football, and I know you are, you definitely want to listen to this next guest who is... Uh, a fairly substantial character in the uh, world of international football. But we'll uh, chat to him in just a moment. Let me run through a couple of sports headlines for you. I'm going to start off with uh, cricket news. Cricket South Africa beating Australia by six wickets on the fourth day of the second test in Port Elizabeth. They level the series 1-1 with two tests to play. For details of the Proteus victory, here's Aslam Kota. South Africa scored a morale-boosting win by six wickets when they reached the target of 101. Tennis de Bruyne scored the winning runs shortly after lunch, and it was a modest target due to the heroics of Kahisorabada. The events of the last few days, whilst casting a gloomy cloud, saw the placeman charge in with greater zeal and focus when he added another three wickets to his overnight three. He clean bowled Mitchell Marsh off the sixth ball of the morning, then had Pat Cummins well caught in the gully by de Bruyne, and then it was Mitchell Stark who edged to de Kock to give Rabada his sixth of the innings and finished with match figures of 11 for 150. It was Rabada's fourth 10-wicket haul in just 28 tests. He also has the most 10-wickets haul for a bowler before the age of 23. Australia lost five wickets for 59, and any chance of a fight back was cancelled by the towering Rabada, who was named Man of the Match. Aslam Kota, SAFM Sport. SAFM Sports Wrap. Meanwhile, Kahiso Rabada has been suspended for South Africa's next two test matches after being found guilty of a Level 2 ICC Code of Conduct offence of inappropriate and deliberate physical contact with a player. He's received a fine of 50% of his match fee, three demerit points after a disciplinary uh, hearing following his denial of the charge. This means Rabada, though, has accumulated eight demerit points within a 24-month period, automatically leading to a two-match suspension. Rugby News, Emirates Lions will face a host of challenges this coming week, not least in the captaincy department after their inspirational leader Warren Whiteley was ruled out of action for four weeks with a PCL injury. Whiteley limped off uh, after just 20 minutes in his uh, side's 38-35 loss to the Blues over the weekend. Meanwhile, Varsity Cup rugby matches currently underway. UJ are leading Vitz by 29 points to 17 uh, currently, and that's uh, following 69 and a half minutes of game time. Uh, CUT against Tux have just kicked off. NMMU Madibas take on Martis at the moment while Pucker play Schimler's kickoff at 7 o'clock. Football news Orlando Pirates have been rocked by an outbreak of flu amongst their players. Coach uh, Milutin Shudovic confident though his players will re- recover in time for this uh, week's travels. The Buccaneers are on the road in back-to-back fixtures in Cape Town. They face Cape Town City in the Nairbank Cup last 16 before uh, then visiting Golden Arrows for an Amsterdam Premiership tie on Saturday in KwaZulu-Natal. Things heating up for Pirates in the keeping department though. Siabonga Bojani has done well in uh, Jackson Mabuhani place, but uh, Wayne Sanderland's fighting his way back from a broken finger. Further afield, Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola hoping his side don't suffer another Monday hangover as they look to edge even, uh, ever closer to the Premier League title at relegation threatened Stoke tonight. And I can tell you just 
just finally, it's cycling news. The 2020 Tour de France will start from Nice on France's Côte d'Azur. The Mediterranean resort plays host to the Grand Depart for the second time after 1981. The year Bernardino claimed a third of his five triumphs. That's your sports news. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, at uh, well, 28 minutes to 7 on SFM, South Africa's news and information lead, I'm delighted to uh, welcome in studio a very special guest to South African shores, and a man who does have a rather fond, uh, uh, well, fondness for South Africa, certainly, uh, is a man who is a legendary football referee who's officiated in the Premier League, he's a former FIFA referee, and he's now the technical director of the International Football Association Board, Mr. David Eray, MBE. Thank you for joining us this evening, and welcome to South Africa yet again. Thank you, Duane. Good to see you again. Now, uh, International Football Association Board, IFAB as as we know it in in the football world, it's something the average football lover might not necessarily know about. So can you just paint a picture of the body's role in in world football? Yeah, the IFAB was founded in 1886 by the four British FAs to codify the laws of the game. Uh, FIFA joined it in 1913. And since then, it's really been the, the body that writes the laws of the game for every country in the world, every level of football. Uh, it has a simple voting structure. FIFA has four votes, England, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, one each. To change a law, you need six votes, and we only review the laws once a year. But you do make some interesting uh, interesting law changes over, over the years, and certainly at the moment there's a great deal of talk about video system referees, and I think that's one of the big ones. Penalty goals is another area, the, the ABBA penalty uh, taking, and certain other... Uh, laws are being looked at shall we say but can we start with var because at the moment it's uh, i think uh, i've seen great successes from my perspective although there are a number of people that will point to the rochdale tottenham game which i think was the exception to the rule rather than 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 the average but you've done extensive research all around the world with var what have you found since the experimentation began Well, the experiment began two years ago where football had argued for many years, should we have video technology? And some said yes, some said no, and we could have talked for another 20 years. And and basically the IFAB said, well, let's see if it'll work. And we were given the, the, the responsibility to write a protocol that might work without destroying the essential flow and emotion of football. And that's always been the concern that you'd interrupt the game too much. So... We invited competitions to take part. Uh, Some of the major leagues in the world have been using it. So Italy, Germany, Portugal, the USA, Australia, South Korea have used it in every league match this season. We've had over 2,000 matches use video assistant referees, and we've particularly analysed just under 1,000 which have been used in competitive matches live. And the results are very encouraging. Um, In simple terms, we say we want minimum interference in the game for maximum benefit. So we only look at clear and obvious errors relating to penalty incidents, goals and direct red cards and the rare occasion when the referee gives the red or yellow card to the wrong player. Just just on the point of accuracy, though, have you found that it's improved the accuracy of these decisions overall? Clearly, people are going to point to the Rochdale incident again. What's your take on that specifically? I mean, the Rochdale incident, the disallowed goal, that was a wrong application of protocol. That was a referee using it for the first time. And this was a grey area decision which yeah. shouldn't have been reviewed. But that was just one of almost a 1,000 matches that we've analysed. And what we've found is that, on average, we only need to review a referee decision once every three matches because it's rare that referees make clear and obvious Mm. errors with great regularity. And what we've discovered is that before VARs were used, you'd have a clear and obvious error once every three matches. 
by using a VAR, that's reduced to one clear and obvious error every 19 matches. And that's, I mean, that's clearly improving the quality of the game. There are those that will say this is going to be an unnecessary holdup in the game. How much time does it actually take, on average, to, to, to make one VAR decision? Well, the interesting thing is that all the different leagues have come up with very similar statistics. Only one review every three matches, really? and the okay. median time is 55 seconds. So less than a minute. Less than a minute. If you think that goal kicks, throw-ins take five, six, seven minutes out of the game yeah. every game, the VR is actually a very, very minimal impact on the match, but bringing extraordinary benefits because clear and obvious mistakes are now being corrected during the game. Now, I think a lot of people are talking about this being compared to tennis, Hawkeye, cricket, the DRS decision, for example. They're comparing sports where one team will say, I would like this checked, or one individual will say, please, could we have a look at this? VR is different in that sense because everything's automatically checked behind the scenes already, isn't it? That's right. We, we've looked and we consulted with, with the sport. We consulted. We had a long discussion with Wayne Barnes, who I'm sure is known out here yes. as a top referee. <laughs> um, and the, the trouble with the challenge system, as we see in cricket, is if South Africa have lo- used their two challenges yes. or their two reviews and then something goes wrong you can't bring fairness into the game so you could have a situation like the Thierry Henry goal against uh, the Republic of Ireland which knocked them out of the the chance to go to the World Cup if the Republic of Ireland used their two challenges and you still got that incident Mm. you'd still have unfairness when you could correct it in 30 seconds so we said Quite a lot of the coaches don't want the responsibility in the same way quite a lot of cricket captains don't want the responsibility because they look stupid when they have a a silly review. So we said if this is going to bring fairness in, we will automatically check everything and the referee and the VAR will decide if something needs to be reviewed and that takes all the pressure away from the players and the coaches. And you spoke earlier about grey areas and I think that's the thing because there are still going to be grey areas when it comes to, and and again if we use the cricket comparison, the umpire's uh, call is is, is effectively a grey area. So the team that reviews keeps the review even if they lose it, umpire's call, whatever it might be. How do you deal with the grey areas? Because certainly this is going to be called upon for maybe interpretations of of the law in certain parts and there might be some grey areas that some will feel, maybe 40% will feel one way and 60% will feel the other. How, how have you handled that? VAR doesn't work with grey areas. So what happens is the VAR automatically reviews a situation. If he thinks the referee has made a clear and obvious error, okay. he will then speak to the referee and say, Mr. Referee, I believe you've got that wrong. The referee will then say, no, I saw it clearly, I'm quite happy. I'll say, okay, we'll review it. The referee then has a choice. He can either review the incident based just what on the VR tells him the replays are showing, or the referee can say, actually, I'd like to go and look at that myself. And then he looks at it. But one of the important things we said is the referee must continue to give a first decision. Mm. We don't want weak referees saying, I don't know if that's a penalty or not, we'll review it. And unless something is clearly wrong... It stays. So you don't say, was Daniel Bennett right when he gave that penalty? You say, was Daniel Bennett clearly wrong when he gave that penalty? It's a very different question, and that eliminates the grey areas. What I do want to see is is more of this happening in in Africa. And I know that the Confederation of African Football has behind the scenes been testing at a few uh, tournaments. But at the CAF Super Cup, they actually used the VAR. Two decisions were reviewed. One was actually overturned. Would you say that the limited 
experimentation in Africa has been successful as well with the, with the VR. Clearly, as, as a South African, I'm concerned more about the, the continent in, in, in a yes, sense. Yes, I, I, I mean, I, Chan have made it clear to IFAB they would like our permission to use it in the Cup of Nations 2019, and we'll be working very hard to get them to that point. And the first stage was them to practice using it offline at Chan, where it worked generally well, but it takes a long time to perfect using the system. But some of their referees have been very highly trained because they are potential candidates for the World Cup, yes. which may well use it. And so it was used in, in the, the CAF Super Cup with great effect. There were two penalties given. One was reviewed and stayed because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. And one, the referee went across, saw that he'd been exceptionally harsh in giving a penalty for a very small push. And the decision was reversed and everybody was happy because the overall result was fairer and felt fairer. So Africa embracing it, a number of countries have already shown interest and will be coming to our VAR workshop in London at the end of the month. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic news and I'd certainly like to see it introduced. Uh, is this going to be a step-by-step thing? Because I suppose there are facilities that do need to be in place and not everywhere in the world has the facilities to be able to have an immediate review at any given point. I mean, certain league matches, for example, in certain areas are not televised at all they wouldn't necessarily have the uh, facilities available. No, it's a very complex process. It takes from the moment a league decides they'd like to have it six to nine months to implement because it takes a long time to train the referees, Mm. to train the VARs, to set up the infrastructure. One of the things we've learned from rugby, the TMO in rugby Mm. tends to be in the broadcast van and can only see what the producer shows him. And that is a, a threat to integrity. So we're saying in football the VAR has to have independent access to all the footage Mm. and independent repay control of the footage. So that's a big technology demand, but it's very important for integrity because we don't want to replace a slightly unfair system with an even more unfair system. I think it's uh, I really do. I I get excited when I hear about the VR because and and to to hear that there's nearly a 99% accuracy rate on using the VR, I think it's just it's a no brainer. It should be introduced. No wonder there are these uh, football associations that are welcoming it. But you, you, you handle more than just VAR, and I think a lot of people are focusing on it now. The one that I suppose a lot of Africans got uh, excited about was perhaps the introduction of penalty goal, because I think when you use an example of penalty goals, Luis Suarez's handball against Ghana in the 2010 FIFA World Cup, 100% that ball was going into the back of the net until Luis Suarez stuck up his hand. 88% chance, I believe, of the latest stats that Asamoah Gyan is going to slot the penalty. And indeed, he fell into the 12% category. It missed Ghana out of the semifinals. Uh, no first African team in, in the semifinals. Penalty goal is one that really interests me. How far along are we in, in perhaps getting penalty goals awarded in games for clear and obvious? We're, we're at a discussion stage. I mean, I have to declare an interest. I believe 100% we should have it. And every time somebody disagrees with me, I simply show <laughs> the, Ghana, the Ghana situation because it, you, it, it's unanswerable. It's un- unquestionable. Yes. And we should be able to give referees the power to say, if they're 100% sure that ball was going in the net, they can award the goal. If they're not, you award the penalty, which they do at the moment. So you're not yeah. actually making the situation worse. You're making it better. And if you keep the red card as well, then players will just stop doing it and it will cease to be a major issue in football. And sometimes the best way to prevent something is to be very strong with the penalty if you do it and it stops it happening. So I think it'll take another few years to do it. um, But I believe that that if we are really about fairness, then the penalty goal for handball on the line is is almost a no-brainer, really. 
Speaking of fairness, Abel penalty kicks. So uh, Team A will take a first penalty kick and then Team B will take the next two. So you're trying to avoid a situation of of teams playing catch-up. How far along are we in terms of that being potentially introduced? We're doing well with that. I mean, it's it's emotionally fairer that you don't have the same team always taking the second penalty Mm -hmm. so they know if they miss, they're immediately out. So it's in a way, it's applying the tennis tie-break philosophy. Uh, We've done some limited experiment with it in a number of competitions. And interestingly, the statistics are very positive. The the old-fashioned way of doing it, there's a 60% chance that if you win the toss and take the first penalty, Mm. you'll win the penalty competition. If you go, if you look at the last 12 penalty competitions in World Cup finals, everyone has been won by the first team. So the statistics are unanswerable. In the limited experiment so far with ABBA, the winning team only wins 50% of the time, not 60% of the time. So we announced last week that we are going to extend the testing of it for another year, and we hope that countries like South Africa and a number of other countries around the world will join our testing um, because we believe it statistically brings fairness, greater fairness, but it also feels fairer. These 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 uh, law amendments are, are, are done on an annual basis. When when are the next set of amendments, as it were? Well, we just published the or we just approved the last set uh, eight days nine days ago in, in Zurich. Um, one or two changes. We are becoming a little bit more tolerant of team officials having um, electronic equipment in the technical area, as from the first of June, because we know we can't stop the earpieces. And iPads, things like that. iPads and things like that. I okay. mean, to, to some extent, if the coach wants to be up in the main stand and wants to send messages down to his assistant, mm. what's wrong with that? So we've said in terms of communication for coaching tactics and player welfare, it's allowed. It's not allowed for replays of referees' decisions. And if people misuse mm. the equipment, then they'll be immediately thrown out of the technical area. And that links with another experiment we're trying, which is we're experimenting in different competitions with red and yellow cards for team officials. Because it's never clear when a referee goes across and speaks to a, yes. a coach who's shouting and screaming. Is he warning him? Is he giving him a final warning? Or is he getting rid of him? So we're going to apply the same system as red and yellow cards to players, and we're testing that as well. And again, South Africa might like to join those tests. Yes, indeed. There have been some, some wild, frantic uh, gesticulations from a few coaches in recent weeks. I'm not going to mention South African referees' names, but uh, but there are a few who've been sent a few high-profile coaches to the stands, and a, few, a couple of those coaches have been asked to explain their yep. uh, their comments, uh, incidentally. Uh, it's 40 minutes to 7 on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader in studio with uh, the man who serves now as the technical director of the International Football Association Board, the legendary referee David Ellery in, uh, in studio with us. Um, David, I want to change tack slightly because uh, I want to talk about the modern game and, and refereeing in the in the modern game as well. Um, I read in your your autobiography uh, one of the things that, that always stuck with me was the fact that, uh, and to be fair, you started your career before the real professional dawn. You you then went through that uh, professional phase in the Premier League, but one of the things that always stuck with me was that you were fitter at the end of your career almost twice your age on than you were at the start of your career. I mean, the the pace of the game has increased substantially over the years. How much tougher is it for a referee now than than when you started in terms of the pace of the game and the, the quickness of, of any action or incident? I think at the top level of football in almost every country, it's now far more demanding on a referee than ever it was. It's physically demanding, it's mentally demanding. You take South Africa. More and more matches are on television. There are more and more cameras at each match compared to five years ago, ten years ago. So 
the referee's performance is analysed more and more. The players are training harder and harder every year. There's more sports science, there's more diet, there's more psychological help. And yet we're expecting referees to stay as amateurs, to, mm. to do a game, drive home, start work at 8 o'clock the next morning if they've got a job. You know, the referees are making some of the most crucial decisions in a football match and they should be trained in a professional way and be given an opportunity to operate professionally. Otherwise, coaches have a right when they turn around and say, but mm. it's wrong that there are 22 professionals on the field of play and one amateur, amateur yeah. and he's influencing the outcome of the game. So we have to give referees the support, the training, that they can deliver what is required. Well, this is one of the great things. I, I've always uh, I mean, I've been involved in football as a football commentator for, for a number of years, and of course one of, one of the things that I've been shouting about for, for years is I would like to see professional referees in South Africa. But at the moment they are controlled by the South African Football Association, but they, 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 they referee uh, under the PSL. Uh, two different bodies that govern it, and there seems to be some sort of tug and pull. And unfortunately, the late Ian McLeod, who I, I know you knew, had a foot in both camps and was trying to see if professional referees could be, or at least a panel could be appointed to improve the the game. Do you feel that that is a must if a league is to be considered among the best, certainly on the continent? I mean, let's look at it. The quality of a football product is affected by a number of factors. One is the quality of the players. The second is the quality of the coaches, and the third is the quality of the referees. Mm. And you cannot become a top competition anywhere in the world if you don't have high-quality referees. Mm. To get high-quality referees, they need time to train. They need time to be fit. But they also need time to review their performances, to learn what they're doing, to improve their decision-making, to improve their positioning, to develop man management, to have sports scientists help them with psychological benefits. I mean, some of the best referees are the ones who can cope with making a mistake in a game. Yes. You don't get that totally naturally. You have to learn about it. And the great Nicola Rizzoli, who did the World Cup finals, yes. said the way he copes with big decisions is like going down a corridor in a hotel. You go into a room, you make a decision, you come out, you close the door, and you forget about that room, and you go down the corridor and go into the next room. Mm. But you need psychological help to deal with that. So really, the quality of any league will be affected by the quality of its referees. Uh, we're getting some quality statements from you, and I'm, I'm delighted to have you in studio. We must uh, go to a quick break. When we come back, though, more from David Ellery. SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM South Africa's news and information leader we have in studio, David Ellery, MBE, the legendary football uh, referee, um, former FIFA referee, former Premier League referee, now the technical director of uh, IFAB, the International Football Association Board, a man who is uh, effectively in charge in, in overseeing some of the law amendments and uh, some of the changes, including, amongst others, as we were discussing earlier, the video assistant referee, which is a, a hot talking point. David, uh, common sense has always been very much a, a part of refereeing. I, I've, you know, I've, I've done a few basic levels myself, and it's something that was drilled into me by a certain Carlos Enriquez who uh, always said Law 18, common sense and it's something that stuck with me from the very early days uh, but what I want to ask about now is Manchester City they have come out and they've said they, they, they want to meet with uh, professional match officials they want to meet with is it, uh, PG Mall to discuss certain grievances that they feel um, they, they've suggested that there's been a series of brutal challenges against their players and they would like referees to potentially or, or at least somebody to potentially retrospectively 
upgrade yellow cards to red cards or to sanction anybody if the referee was too lenient in his punishment towards towards anybody. To me, maybe that's common sense, but it's not as cut and dried as that, I suppose. Is there room for retrospective sanction in your view? I think there's room for retrospective sanction for clear red cards not given by the referee, where the okay. referee's not seen it. But I think we move into a very dangerous area if we start reviewing yellow cards, which should have been red cards, because mm. do we then review red cards, which should only have been yellow, yellow cards? Then do we review fouls where there was no card but should have been a yellow card? And all the things we try to avoid with VARs, which is to not interrupt the game, would suddenly happen. Yeah. You'd have weak refereeing. So... I think what we've got to do is to continue to educate our referees that football will support them if they're strong on violence and brutal fat challenging. We don't want referees going crazy over dissent and yellow cards. We want them to be strong when players mob a referee. But the best referees can manage the technical and are strong on the physical. And that's a philosophy mm. I think some of your best referees have and some of Africa's best referees mm. because the players know that they can get away with the odd chirp to the referee. Yeah. But actually, if they go over the top or they elbow, they're going to get sent off. And that's what the teams want. Now, I have to bring up Roy Keane because uh, how many red cards did you give him in his career? Only four. <laughs> I remember reading in your book, he actually sent you a letter Yep. congratulating a, you on your retirement yeah, a letter and a signed shirt I think he was <laughs> he said it was safe for him to carry on playing now I'd hung up my whistle but uh, the good thing about Roy was that you know you have players who, who do it for everyone to see and you have players who yeah. do it off the ball and sneaky and nobody ever accused Roy of being sneaky he was he was uh, it was in the face yeah, he was he was a passionate individual. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and sometimes the emotion can get, uh, get somebody carried away. I think with cricket at the moment, I think we're, we're talking about this with Cajiso Rabada and his suspension in cricket. I know I don't want to bring up cricket again, but can I get sentimental with you? Because I, I've read your autobiography and I, you've got some wonderful stories in, in, in your book, uh, The Man in the Middle, which incidentally Howard Webb named his autobiography as well, but it's a yeah. common term for a referee. I'm not going to bring up any sore points. But uh, look, you refereed some of the great players of, of the Premier League uh, in world football as well, refereeing for FIFA. I, I love hearing stories of some of the great players. Who were who some of the, the standout players that you officiated in your career? I mean, Beckham w w was, you know, mm. at his pomp. Um, I was lucky enough to be the referee when he appeared really on the international scene where he scored from the halfway line yes. against Wimbledon at Crystal Palace. Um, and I, I refereed Manchester United about 40-plus times, so obviously I, I, I was involved in some of their big games uh, one of my favourite games, because I think it epitomised English football at its best, was the Arsenal-Man United FA Cup semi-final replay oh, yes. uh, 1999, where everybody remembers um, Roy Giggs scoring and taking off his shirt in the days before you had to give a yellow card. People forget I sent Roy Keane off in that game. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> One may remember that uh, Arsenal um, didn't score a penalty in the, in the closing seconds of normal time. Patrick Vieira had a goal disallowed, and it was just, if you wanted to bottle up the best of English football, that was mm. probably one, one of the great games that, that I remember. Other players, I mean, people often say who were the difficult ones. I mean, dear old Gaza was, <laughs> was a nightmare because one moment he'd have his arm round you telling a joke, and the next moment you know, he'd be turning the air blue with his views on your latest throwing decision. So that, that they, were, they, they were strange. I mean, players you could chat to, and, and I remember... 
David Beckham saying to him one game where I'd given a, it was just after he'd been sent off England against Argentina and he was getting terrible abuse from the fans and I gave a pretty dodgy decision, which wasn't rare, but I mean, I gave a dodgy decision and the fans <laughs> all started abusing me and David turned to me and said, thanks, David, you've got them off my back for a few minutes. So, yeah, you had a good rapport with some players, other players, uh, Dennis Irwin, you just couldn't speak to, he didn't want to speak to anybody, he was just grumpy and got on with the game. So there were different personalities um, throughout the game. It must it must have been uh, a difficult thing to try to manage at any given point because you also want to keep that, that clear line of I'm not your pal, I'm a man who's officiating this game. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like being a teacher and, and I think some and referees... You, you are a teacher. And I'm a teacher, yeah, or I was. Um, some teachers want to be the star of the show. Uh, in many countries, you have referees who want to be the star of the show and players hate those players. that they're, You don't want your teacher at school to be super cool and super matey. And the players don't really want the referees to be matey. They want to be approachable, friendly, respectful, uh, and, and show each other respect. And your best referees in this country and throughout the world are the ones that have a good rapport with the players, but know that it's, it's the players' show, it's not the referees' show. Can I just ask quickly about uh, Zakelis? Well, obviously, he's uh, heading off to, to Russia 2018 as part of, um, <coughs> as, as part of a Southern African team. Zakelis of South Africa is the only South African he'll be, uh, he'll be heading off, which uh, and we're immensely proud of, of him as well. You, you, you clearly have followed the progress of players from all around the world, officials from all around the world. But how do they rank for you in terms of officials? And, and should, we, should we give them the credit that, that some people don't? I mean, it's an immense achievement to, to be selected to go to a World Cup in any, in any guise. And South Africa is, is represented in almost every World Cup for the last however many years. And, and that's a, more of an achievement, achievement than they get recognition for mm. because you are fighting to be one of the best. You're not part of a team. Well, you're part of a small team. You're not part of a big squad. Um, and I think he's done exceptionally well. And he's, he's matured a great deal in the last years. Uh, time is against us, unfortunately. I would love to be able to talk to you from everything from what's the most misunderstood law to uh, to more technical areas of, of VAR. But uh, the amendments to, to, to the law, you say you're going to have another year or so of experimenting on, on certain things. But what, what are the next uh, um, amendments you would like to see in football? I, I think what we're doing is trying to say, can we make the laws make the game better? Yeah. Can we make it more enjoyable? The... the the laws are there to help the game breathe, to be more beautiful, not to restrict it. And therefore, what we do is we do a lot of consultation. I, I have emails in four or five a day from around the world with suggestions. Some are crazy, some are very good. But I'm sorry we, about those, David. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we have a phrase at IFAB is, what does football want? And I think that's our role. Our role as IFAB is a governing body, but we're one that serves the game to make the game better. So anybody who's listening who has a good idea just write to lawinquiries at theifab.com and uh, they'll get an answer from me no matter how crazy it is. There we go. Music to my ears. I'm going to be emailing again. Maybe it won't be so crazy this time, but David Lillery, thank you so much for your time this evening. Great pleasure. Thanks very much, Wayne. It's been a wonderful pleasure having uh, David Lillery in the studio, but that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, up after the show, the talk shop with Nalede Mulo and Griselda Dudumashe. Uh, I'll be back again uh, next Monday from the team tonight. Uh, producer Luyolam Kalipi, sound engineer Phineas Ndoba and me, Dwayne DeLocker. Have a lovely evening. Cheers. It's seven o'clock.